Ambe Piwita Bimsin, Aninchokagin Darlapanis in Dishnikas, Dinishnape Queo, Zakme Nishnabe Kishkinigan Danchi, Adotimug, Dinishnape Winan Podcast, Vernakishain Nawika Gatnona, Vernakishain Dishnikas, Aimunje, Aganizaiganindais in Tatix, Skunigan, Yellow Quill Band, Disnikatana Munyasak, O Mutunje. Residential school guys in Katamin, you take Gitazea e and then Saganasimo. Sigo, uh, Zanigogo, a tangi kainawe magoa, a canisina begizi kenimag, on donje kenima, siganines nikazo, what kagia watima in skunigani. Me tagoe kainawe magoa, me tagaize, kaize ganona kwa. So, my uncle Morris stops go, and he's saying he night. So, when she missing he's in Kanik. No ko knows he's in Kanik, so when he no kongina. Chanago kaon, kaon awe wees when he kendazi. Me tagainawe magoa. What I'm saying is that, when I grew up on the reserve in Kiniston with my grandmother, uh, I didn't speak English until I went to residential school when I was six. And that on the reserve, the only way I knew people at all was by my relationship to them. Because that's how important relationships were. They were kept very, uh, their importance was, was really great because, um, that's how we identified one another. That's how we related to one another. And, and each relationship meant something, right? So um, that's what I learned when I was growing up or with my grandmother. So baby Isak, baby Isak Chibo, Chibo, before they arrived here. So their mom, while well, they were in their mom's tummy, while they were under in their mom, me a piunje, he machi, we we ni nachi wak njimu ek, koyak chi chi zwis niwat, koyak chi nenda muat, koyak chi zib mat zwat. So they had to live. Uh, with care about themselves and about their baby, the way they thought, the way they felt, the way they ate, you know, they had to take really good care of themselves. That was understood because they were bringing uh, another spirit into the world. So they weren't allowed to start gathering the baby stuff or the stuff that they were going to use for baby until 
until the baby was at least six months in utero, so six months in the womb. At that point, they could start. Myapi, imachi, was it too naa? Nando kiguisi kego apambizunan, sugomino moss bags, cradle boards. Myapi banima. So at that point, bonnets for the babies. So they gathered and started to make those things there from their, from whoever their grandmothers or their mothers helped them make stuff. babies. When the baby arrived, um, four days time, within four days, Anishinaabe Uwinzuin. Kegetrin meapi azaginginatak munya Uwinzuin. Munya is a sweet, what do you say English again? An English name anyway. They would have received their English name even before that, but within four days, they had a feast for the baby and gave them their Indian name, their spirit name. That's not the only name necessarily that they would have had. They might have got another name later on down the line. Some had as many as four names, as far as I know, and they would receive them at different intervals in their in their lives, and they would receive them from people who who were given that gift to give names, and who were given that intuitive push to give that child a name, because it comes to you like a like a. Nobody tells me, but I might understand it at a intuitive level that I'm supposed to give somebody a name, right? That that's how it was done long ago. All the time, they were bound, they were tied in their moss bags most of the time, and there was a reason why they did that. That when they're in a moss bag, they're snug and they're they feel safe and secure. And they were warm. And as they got a little bit older, a few months older, they would push against the, the restraints to get out. They would push hard and that built their muscles, that built their bodies up strong when they were doing that. So that's one of the reasons why they kept them in the moss bag. And they would put them in the swing and the swing went side to side. And that was like the rocking motion of a baby in a womb, right? That's what it reminded them. Up. And again, it kept. They knew they were safe and secure when they were in that motion of going back and forth. And there were songs. There were um, So there were songs that were sung to the baby when they were put in a in a swing or they were put in a moss bag and they were bounced. They sang those uh, lullabies to those babies, to the baby. And that lullaby had uh, a lot of the sounds that we use in our language. They had those sounds, and it was already coming into the baby's mind, awareness, in the back of their conscious, consciousness. So it was entering their, their mind, and they were hearing that over and over and over again. 
And when you see a baby when they're little and they start to talk, they make those sounds. Mum, 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 mum. Nun, 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 nun. You know, that's how they, that's how they teach themselves. They hear those sounds. So there was all of that. And then, um, Kinaganan. Kinagan is a cradle board. And the cradle board, uh, the handle on the cradle board was, was shaped depending on who made it and what shape they were given for the cradle board. They shaped that cradle board that way. And the cradle board was used to carry babies on the back. It was used to rock the babies. Again, that side to side motion would help put them to sleep. And not just anybody could make a cradle board. It was given to certain women in our community. And those women, they would do the work of, of selecting the tree that was going to be the cradle board. By the time, by the time I was born, my grandmother was able to obtain cut boards, right? So she was able to do that. And she had put a little heart shape on the inside of my cradle board at the top. And then she had also put, uh, uh, I don't know what you call them, but, uh, markings anyway at the top of the board. Because that's how she envisioned it. And the only piece that she really had to go and cut was uh, the, the handle part, the rocking part. So she had to go get that from a tree. And of course, you put tobacco down. And so he, and I'm gonna, I don't like using the word prayer because it's not a prayer, but you make appeasements to the spirit of the tree by putting tobacco down and, and seeking what you're going to use that for and, and being grateful for, you know, being allowed to use that. So that's what they would do. And she would work on that piece of wood. She would because of course trees are round, but she had to flatten it and shave it and cut it on both sides to make it flatten. And then she would soak it in water and, uh, and she would bend it over, um, other, other, she would bend it over other trees or around other trees in order to get the shape that she wanted. And she would tie it that way. And then she would take it down and assess it and soak it and do it again until she got the shape she wanted. And, um, that went over the cradle board at the top. And that protected the baby's face so you could put um, a pumpbizuin or a, a, a baby blanket over top so that it would protect the baby from bugs and mosquitoes and, and all of that kind of things when, when they were carrying you on the back. Or even if they left you, you know, leaned up against the wall somewhere or against a tent or whatever, they would leave you there. But they would put that over you so bugs couldn't bother you and keep you awake when you needed to sleep. In Yellow Quill, we didn't leave babies in uh, swings. We weren't allowed to. Well, maybe I shouldn't say Yellow Quill, but in our in our family, we weren't allowed to leave babies in swings overnight or at night. We weren't allowed to um, put them in uh, a cradle board overnight. We could only put them in a moss bag overnight. So all of that was carefully uh, adhered to or observed by us. So that's a baby. And then when they started, when they were old enough to start moving around and crawling, they let you know when they were ready themselves. So it was always at the baby's pace, like the child's pace to do things. 
but they have to watch them really closely because uh, they could be easily poisoned still because they were still more spirit than they were human. When the skull was still open and there's still three parts to the skull and they eventually close, there's a little soft spot up on top of the head. And when that soft spot was open, they were still coming in and out of their bodies. And in order to anchor them into this world, if you were going to put moccasins or shoes on the baby, you had to cut a hole, small hole on the bottom of each foot. So, me ma, me ma jig, um, the spirit was connected to the earth from there. From the top of their head down to the bottoms of their feet, they were connected to the earth. So when they went traveling, they could always come back because they were pulled back by the earth. I forgot to say earlier that baby boys were not uh, were not stood upright because their their testes didn't drop for a whole month after they were born, and if they drop because you stood them up or or bounce them up and down in the first year, you could damage them down there. You could damage their uh, they could have a tear or create uh, uh, scar tissue, which would you know inhibit them from having children later on. So they were careful with little boys that way. Little girls, not so much. Little girls, all their stuff is inside, so they were more secure that way. So then, uh, as soon as the baby's old enough to, the babies had to be watched carefully that they didn't pick up something and put it in their mouth. In Dimoek, women, So if you step over something, because the power of a woman is is strong, it's powerful. And if they step over something, that something could have too much of their power in it. And if the baby put it in his mouth, it could hurt him. I had a brother who ate something off the floor that somebody had stepped over, and it, he almost died. They, they took him to the hospital, and they couldn't find anything wrong with him, but they didn't know. He was, he was dying. So they took him to Midewewin uh, Lodge. And my, my parents gave up everything they owned, absolutely everything they owned, to the, the people in the lodge so that they could save my brother. And they saved my brother from that lodge, or in that lodge. They saved him from death. He would have died otherwise. So that's how powerful that that energy is that women carry. It's a very strong, powerful energy. So we have, to, in the old days, they protected the men and the, the old people and the babies and the children from, from that power. They weren't allowed to just step over anything or be in the same room when you have your periods, be in the same room as uh, medicines and stuff like that. That had to be, all of that was kept outside in a tripod. That's why they kept them outside, drums, rattles, everything. And babies were, so when, they just had to be watched carefully when they were crawling around, moving around. And then by the time they got to a little bit to be toddlers and stuff, you know, and they could play with the older children, the older children watched them a lot. And um, by the time they became young children, then they were between six and uh I'd say 11 or 12, they were starting to get well into their roles, their role as a woman or their role as a as a, a man 
right? So they started to carry those roles. They were given responsibilities as much as they could handle. They, they weren't expected to run and fetch water by themselves, you know. But if my, like, for example, if my grandmother went to fetch water, I went with her. I carried my own little lard pail or whatever of water, you know, and she would carry the big, heavy stuff. Same thing with picking medicines. I went with her everywhere, picking picking berries, picking sweet grass. And I was expected to, when she, when I was old enough, she would show me how to do it. She would teach me all of that. <clears throat> and the boys, same thing. The boys would go with the elder men to go hunting, had their first hunt. They would have their first kill. And the first kill was important for them because it, it, it marks another phase for them, right? They've achieved another phase of, of living and it, it was a big deal to them. And they were expected to, like my brothers and my cousins, they would cut off the, my dad showed them how to cut the moose nose off and put some by a tree, same with the liver and the heart. And they were expected to eat a piece of something you know, usually the liver, I think, because it's softest and easiest to swallow if you <laughs> feel like chewing something raw. Um, and that was a way of um, so they would do that appeasement to the animal that gave its life so that we could live, we could live off of its life and to thank it. Yeah. And then when they became teenagers, they, in the old, old days, they were already promised to someone because the elders knew that as soon as they hit that age, they were, the, the creative energy inside of them would be too much to control, even for themselves. They were expected to control it, but, uh, and then that's why they were involved in ceremony and stuff like that, so that they don't, uh, they don't abuse that God-given power of procreation, right? They had to use it wisely. So by that time, by the teenage years, the boys would have known how to hunt and trap and fish and, and how to take care of a family. And the women would have known, the girls would have known how to um, do all the household stuff, how to make meals and how to keep a household clean. They would have taken care of babies up at that point. For, for their aunties or for whoever, for the, their mothers, the, their siblings. So they would have done all that and they would have uh, been prepared in that way to carry on with a family. And at that point, there would have been courtship and there would have been, as far as I know, in my experience, it wasn't a marriage per se. But it was uh, a getting together, and everybody in the community recognized them as being married. Um, the courtship was, I'm not sure how long it was, but it was at least a week or two weeks, three weeks, four weeks long. Because the way it worked was um, the man would go to the woman's house, the, his, his, his girlfriend's house, or for lack of a better word, I'll use the word girlfriend would go to her house and sit with the parents of that household. He would prove himself to them. He would go hunting, bring them a 
deer or bring them whatever, whatever he hunted for, and show that he was worthy of that woman. And similarly then, after he's done that and they allowed her to go, she would go and sit with his parents at their house. They would go together. He would bring her to his house and she would have to show herself to be a good mother and a good woman and a good whatever, right? She would have to help, like she helped my, my uncle's wife, help my grandmother do whatever she needed done. Ikizizawi, which is very uh, energetically helpful. Yeah. And they had to show that. And then after that, those two periods, however long they were, I don't know how long they were, but um, then they were considered married and they could live together. Yeah. But the, and, the, and the courtship lasted quite a while because my uncle was, uh, he was a singer and a drummer. And I remember going to uh, a rain dance and he would, they would, there was four horsemen, four guys on a horse. They would serenade the, the, the tents around the, in the evening when it was a supper break and they took a break from the rain dance. Of course, the dancers couldn't eat, but uh, the drummers and the, the others could that were in uh, part of that ceremony. If you weren't dancing, you could eat. During that supper break, my uncle and, and three other guys would ride around the, the lodge and ser- serenade people. We would go and sing at different spots in the thing. And my uncle always took time to go and sing to Margaret, his, his future wife. He would take time and sing to her, and she would get embarrassed. And <laughs> you know, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah. So there's that. The belly buttons have to be taken care of because if you didn't take care of them, they would say that the babies would be searching for that for the rest of their lives. They'd be searching, searching, searching all over. And so you have to put put that belly button. They used to put them in, um, they'd sew a little bag, a little leather bag, and put the belly button in there, and then they would do whatever they were going to do with it. So my grandmother would go and put them in the trees or by the trees. And she'd, she'd say, uh, again, I'm going to use the word prayer. She would say a prayer for that, for her son or whoever that that belly button belonged to. I've heard others say that if you wanted them to be um, good gardeners or good, uh, you could bury it in the ground somewhere. When my cousin Ricky was born, uh, my uncle Ronnie and Margaret, well, Margaret, um, Margaret his, was his mom. They had a feast for him. And I remember the old ladies came. There was no men there. It was like just the women. I don't know why the men weren't there. Uh, but the old ladies were there and the grandmothers and the aunties and they had a little feast for him. And then they would examine the baby. They took the baby out of the moss bag and stripped him down, basically just a little cover on him. And they would pass the baby around woman to woman to woman to woman. And each one would give him. It chokes me up. Each one would give him a gift. And they would say things like, Oh, he's going to be a fast runner. Oh, he's going to be a good singer. Oh, he's going to be a good hunter. 
So that was their way of welcoming the baby and giving him a gift of life. And the other thing, the person who names you is your, they call them Kiyaw. So Niel. <clears throat> Niel was, um, was my great grandfather. That's who named, who gave me my name. And my grandmother was my other Niel. So I have two names, two spirit names. I don't know the first name that I was given in four days. Nobody remembered it. Even my mom didn't remember it. And, uh, the second name was given to me by my great grandfather. The other thing is, uh, that I, that I think is really interesting that I, I've learned or, or known for quite a while is that, uh, Dan Kobitsigan. So great grandparents are called Dan Kobitsigan. And because our language is descriptive, that means something. So grandparent, great grandparents also call their great grandchildren Dan Kobitsigan. It's the same going either way. So there's me, Nimama, Nuko, Dan Kobitsigan. That's four generations. And Dan Kobitsigan, to translate that, it means like my tie. It's like a tie to the future or a tie to the past. Right? That's what it means, literally. My tie. A tie, a knot. Tie to the past or the future. And I love that, you know, that, that uh, connection. Yeah. So I, I think I'll stop there. I think that's a lot for now. for the wonderful teachings you shared. Thank you all for listening. Chimigwitch.